If there are any visitors with us, uh, please take one of these as well. Um, and you're very welcome with us this evening in the service too. Um, there's nothing much to intimate on the intimations, just a change to the social distancing requirements which came in this week. And all the details are actually on the sheet and you can just read through that at your leisure. Uh, once again, just to uh, note that we regret the, the passing of uh, Miss Katrina Mackay uh, from uh, Balmerino and also uh, our elder, Mr. Norman MacLeod. Everyone uh, who comes to their demise in this world and belongs to a congregation, we miss them very much, especially those who have been very faithful over many years, as Katrina was and as Norman was, and uh, we pray that the Lord will bless their families, uh, relatives at this time, and bless ourselves too as a church, as, as God takes more of his saints home. Our prayer is that he would, by his grace, replace them with others who will follow in their steps. Uh, so please refer to these intimations. Uh, I don't have any details yet as to the funeral for either of these saints. Um, that'll be uh, available this week uh, after they've made the registrations and so on. So just keep your eye out for that in the notices locally. Well, we're going to begin our service uh, singing firstly in Psalm 98. Psalm number 98. Uh, in the Scottish Psalter version, that's on page 360, if you're using the psalm books. The tune is Gainsborough. We're singing verses 1 to 4. O sing a new song to the Lord, for wonders he hath done. His right hand and his holy arm, the vic him victory hath won. So on through to verse 4, Psalm 98. O sing a new song to the Lord, and we stand to sing. Oh, sing a new song to the Lord for wonders he hath done. <coughs> his right hand and his holy hand him victory hath won. Truth to his 
Let's now unite our hearts together in prayer. Let's call upon the Lord in prayer. Our gracious and eternal God, we are so conscious from these words that we have been singing in your praise, that your call is to all the earth to praise you, and that you have given your church the mandate to call out for others beyond its own pale, beyond its borders, to come and join together in the praises of God. And we thank you tonight that we are privileged to come to sing your praises, to hear your word, to listen to your voice. That we are privileged to know you and to know one another through the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Lord our God, we pray that you would humble us anew in your presence. And yet at the same time we pray that you would exalt us. For we are humbled in order to be exalted by you. And when you come to humble us in your presence by showing us what we are really like in ourselves, you bring us to know Jesus Christ and thereby in him we are exalted. Through faith in him you lift us up, you take us above the dunghill of our own sin, you place us upon him as a rock, you put a new song in our mouth, you give us hope within our hearts, you enable us to see beyond this present world, even by faith to see things which our naked eye cannot see and which we cannot ourselves understand fully, particularly until you open our eyes spiritually. And Lord, we ask tonight that you would enable us to look beyond the present horizon of this life and see from your word those glorious things that are spoken of that future and destiny of your people. And enable us at all times, O Lord, to be conscious of the need to look upwards to you, to be marked as those who show in their lives and in their way of life in the world that we live for a better country even a heavenly one, where the Lord God our Father dwells and where we are promised through faith in Jesus that we will live with him. We ask, O oh Lord, tonight that you would manifest yourself to us. We are so familiar with your word. Most of us have known your word for many years, some of us from our infancy. We are so familiar with the concepts of the gospel, with the teachings that we find coming in the message of the gospel to us. And yet, Lord, to know you is more than to know this. And we pray that we may know you personally, and to know you personally that we may enter more fully into that living relationship that your people have with you, and that that may be evident to the world that sees us, and every day that we interact with in some way or other, that God may be real to them because he is real to us. And we pray, Lord, that you would make yourself very real to us tonight in this building and to those who are watching online. We thank you for the privilege of being together in this way and using these different facilities. We thank you too, Lord, for the step forward that we have in relation to this COVID pandemic when we are brought to the one meter distancing now this week and we pray onwards. We pray that it will be soon, O oh Lord, when we will be able to gather as we once used to, without a fear of these restrictions or the fears attached to them, and without the wearing of masks so that we can sing out loudly and in a voluminous way that we can truly praise the Lord with all our might. Lord God, we pray that the singing of your praises will increasingly be more precious to us 
having experienced the restrictions that have been placed during these past months and even year and more. Oh, Lord God, we ask that you would restore to us these great privileges that we enjoyed and want to enjoy once again. We pray that uh, the COVID virus itself and the pandemic associated with it will in your blessing and by your hand prove to be spiritually productive. Lord, we know that there are people throughout our land and throughout the world asking serious questions, having come face to face with death, either in themselves being near death or in the death of relatives or families, loved ones. And we pray that as you have used your providence in days gone by to impress upon human beings like ourselves the shortness of time, the uncertainty of time, the greatness of eternity, the need of Christ. Lord, we pray that this will be one of the lasting aspects of this, uh, this pandemic so that we will see many turning to the Lord. And yet we know, Lord, that even the greatest pandemic and the greatest evidence of loss of life throughout the world is not itself sufficient to move our hearts in a way that will receive Christ, that will confess ourselves to be needy sinners in need of your salvation. But Lord, we pray that that will be the case in these weeks and months to come. We thank you for your goodness to us as a congregation. And we pray that your blessing will continue to furnish us with all that we require, O Lord, in order to be living witnesses for you in our own locality, wherever we are placed. Bless us tonight, we pray, as once again we mourn as a congregation. And we give thanks, O Lord, for the lives that have led us and spoken to us and uh, been uh, so luminous in our midst as lights in this dark world. We ask that your blessing will follow their passing. We give thanks, Lord, for Katrina Mackay's long years of testimony, for the beauty of her life as a Christian, and for the way that even in conversation with her, it was so evident that she loved the Lord and waited upon him and loved his people and loved his cause. And Lord, we ask that you would now bless our relatives, especially her niece, as they come to this point of uh, uh, approaching her funeral. We ask today also, Lord, for grateful hearts for the life of Norman MacLeod. We bless you for the many years of faithful service that he gave in this congregation and in our community. We bless you, O Lord, for all that he showed of concern for others, for the unsaved, for those who were deprived, for those that he at times helped even without public notice. We bless you, Lord, for the love that you laid upon his heart for your people, for your cause, for this congregation, for us as ministers. We ask that you would bless to us the witness that he has left behind. We pray especially that you'd bless his beloved family at this time. Lord, we pray for Christine, for Alistair, for Calamian, for their own loved ones and for all the relatives. And pray that the many who came into contact with his life throughout the course of it in this world will themselves reflect upon the quality of the man they saw and will realize, O oh Lord, that the Lord did great things for him and can do great things for them too. And so, Lord, we ask your blessing 
for all of us here tonight and all of us online. We pray for ourselves and our relationships. Give thanks for those who have been newly married. We commend them to you, Lord, Megan and Kanyoch especially. We pray that you would bless those who are anticipating being married in weeks and months to come. And by your grace and by your will, we pray for them that they may come, Lord, to truly enjoy life together. And we pray that you'll protect our relationships in a world that so easily casts them aside. May it not be true of us, O Lord, that we take any of these great gifts of yours lightly. And we pray that you would bless tonight those others who mourn the passing of loved ones too. Grant your blessing to our leaders in the nation. Hear us as we pray for them, as we commend them to you. We pray again for wisdom for them. And we commend them to you as those upon whom great honor is bestowed and great responsibility. But Lord, we pray that as the weight of that is uh, so evident to themselves, help them to unburden it onto you and to place their confidence in you and give them good counsel even counsel from your word that they may follow it and be of benefit to those they rule over. And so hear us, we pray, continue with us now and pardon our sins for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, we're to children, um, some of them hopefully online as well as any who are in the building just now, just very briefly. Um, I don't know if you like moths or not. Some people are more or less terrified of, of moths. Others don't mind them. I particularly have liked moths, really, from my youngest days. Um, I used to uh, just take a wee notebook and try and draw some of them uh, when I was a boy. Uh, others don't like moths at all. I find them really kind of scary. They flutter about at night sometimes uh, and uh, aren't really very attractive to them. But this last week, I came across a little moth in, on the glass panel, the, the, the division between our hallway in the manse and, and the porch, uh, has glass panels, and this little moth was sitting on one of these panels. And as I looked at it, it wasn't very big, and I decided I'll take a photo of it and see if I can find out what kind of moth it is. So, sure enough, I took the photo uh, with the phone camera, and then when I looked at it, it looked just very drab brown, dark brown color, just very dark and nothing really at all much to look at. And then I thought, well, maybe if I use a flash, because uh, the hallway is somewhat dark in that part of it, and if I use a flash on, on the phone, it might show up something. So I put on the flash on the phone camera, then took the photo again, and what a transformation. Uh, when I looked at the photo then on my phone, here was this beautiful moth with these beautiful light brown, rusty orange colors, which weren't at all seen in the previous photo, and here they were, and beautiful markings on the wings, Little strokes, dark brown strokes down each wing. Absolutely amazing the difference from, between that and the first photo that I'd taken. And I, I looked it up, and actually it's called an antler moth. Antler as in deer antlers. The, the markings on the wings, I discovered when checking it up online, uh, the markings on the wings give it the name antler moth because they looked like antlers, like deer antlers on each of its wings. And it got me thinking about um, spiritual matters as well uh, and about what the Bible tells about ourselves. Uh, the Bible doesn't hold back from telling us about what we are as sinners and what we need as sinners. And we're not very 
attractive, in fact, were quite ugly, spiritually and morally speaking, as sinners. Even if we might be beautiful physically or on the outside to look at, the Bible tells us that our sin is ugly and our sin makes us ugly. We're very drab, very dark in color in terms of our spiritual nature as sinners, as lost sinners. And we have to accept that because that's God being kind to us, showing us what we're really like so that we will come to himself and be made into something far better. And when the flash showed up the beauty of that moth, that's what the light of God's grace does to us. It changes us from being these dark, drab, dirty, ugly creatures as sinners into something that resembles the image of Christ. In fact, resembles Christ because God creates us anew. We heard Kenny this morning talking about being born again. And when we come to be born again and given new life, that's essentially what happens to us. We become beautiful in God's sight. We take on the beauty of Jesus. And as we take on the beauty of Jesus, so we find that more and more God actually beautifies us. And this really, children, is what we were created for. We were created beautiful at the first. Before Adam fell, everything about the Garden of Eden was marked by beauty, including himself and Eve and their relationship. Sin destroyed all that, made it ugly. And it's in Jesus that it's restored to beauty. And through faith in Jesus, and through God's grace working in our lives, we come to be what we were created for, the beautiful human beings that God designed in the beginning. And that's what we all want to be, and what you children should yourselves always think of as you think of your relationship with God. So if you see an antler moth, Google it. Look for a, a large photo of it and just admire its beauty. But more than that, think of how it, how it uh, is a picture for us of the change that God brings into our lives when his grace works in our hearts. So let's say the Lord's Prayer. And when we're saying the Lord's Prayer, we know it so well. We know the words of it off by heart. But it's a prayer and we're using it as a prayer. So let's pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our reading of God's word tonight is from Philippians, letter of Paul to the Philippians. Uh, we've looked at the first two verses of it over the past couple of studies. But if we read tonight from the beginning uh, through to verse 18. So that's the epistle to the Philippians, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father 
and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you, about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with all the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So God... Uh, we pray will bless to us these words as we read them from his precious word. We're going to look tonight at verses 3 to 7 of, of what we've just read uh, as we follow through with our study in uh, Philippians. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and so on down to verse 7. Well, like a magnificent firework, you know, these big fireworks that you get at New Year time, especially times like these, when you look at them, especially when there's a lot of them clustered together, you see them going up into the sky, and they just burst into the sky with a wonderful light and variety of different things usually shooting off from them. Well, Philippians... This letter just bursts into life, doesn't it, from verse 3 onwards. Not that there's no light or life in the previous verses, but when you come to verse 3 there, you really find Paul's love for this church and his regard for this church and his care for this church, just like that great fire. It's exploding into view in verses 3 to 11, actually. He talks here about his thankfulness. And you see the colors of that great explosive firework of teaching, if you like. You see the colors in it and these words that are used there, the likes of uh, thanksgiving, prayer, partnership, yearning, requests, all the way down through there. You find these great words where Paul's love and Paul's regard for this church in Philippi just explodes onto the page for them to read and for us to see now 
as we read it now as part of Scripture. When you look at the structure of these verses, uh, verses 3 to 7, verse 6 really lies at the heart of these few verses 3 to 7. What he's saying there in verse 6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And that breaks really as a kind of bridge between verses 3 to 5 and verses 7 uh, and verse 7 uh, onwards to verse 8. But uh, it, it works something like this. The, the request that he's making here in his prayer as he tells them about it um, in verses 3 to 6, uh, the, the 3 to 5, that, that request, that emphasis on prayer, is something that flows from the conviction that he mentions in verse 6. The conviction that God will complete the work that he has begun in these Christians in Philippi. And from that flows this wonderful prayer that Paul here is revealing to them. He's going to tell us the content of it somewhat in verses 9 to 11. But the, 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 the way that is put here, you can see that that conviction in verse 6 is really in a, in a way what gives rise to that prayer, these requests, uh, this thankfulness that he mentions. And verse 6 itself then as you look at the structure of it, is based on what you might say is the solid evidence for what Paul is saying as he looks at the Philippians and the life they're living as it's described in verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way or to think this way about you because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. That is what provides, if you like, the basis for the confidence he has in what he says in verse 6. And what he says in verse 6, that conviction, is that from which the prayer, this thankfulness, this requesting in the previous verses really flows. Now, I'm going to leave verse 6 tonight. and I'll come back to it, God willing, next time. Um, because I want to look at these surrounding verses and having noticed the way they're joined together briefly, we'll come back and look at verse 6 in itself because it has in itself such a lot of teaching for us with regard to God beginning a work in human lives and God going on to finish that work and something of what both these entail. But let's look first of all tonight at the prayerful remembrance that he mentions here in verses 3 to 5. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my request with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. What is the key to God's state of mind in his imprisonment as he writes this wonderful letter to his beloved Christian friends, in Philippi. What is the key to his state of mind? You could answer that in different ways. But surely the key at, at the very heart of it, uh, the very essence of that key uh, for joy and for peace in his imprisonment is the relationship he mentions here built into these two very short words, my God. I thank my God. He's not just saying, I thank God. I thank my God. He's talking about God in such personal terms. He's going afterwards, as we'll see uh, later through the passage, to speak about his prayer and what it contains. 
but he has that familiarity with God, not in a loose, careless sense, a familiarity with God where he has a personal, close, intimate, covenantal relationship with this God. And he goes on in verse, uh, chapter 4 and verse 19 to speak of this again in this my God where he's convinced that this God, this God that he has such a regard for, um, will fulfill his promise to the Philippians where he says in verse 19, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So here is someone who's really saying in his imprisonment that he is glorying in the fact that he knows God as his God. Here is somebody who really knows God. God is not a theory for him. God is not something, someone he's heard about from his youth, although he has. He was brought up in the Pharisaic sect of the Jewish people. He'd known about God from knee high, but he didn't know God until Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. That's what turned his life around. That's what turned him from knowing about God and thinking he was serving God to knowing God and glorying in God through Jesus Christ. He loves this God. He adores this God. In his prison, you can tell he's enjoying his relationship with God, a remarkable thing in itself, given his conditions. This would not be an easy life. It wasn't like a small cell, such as he had been in Philippi uh, when he was first there and the jailer was converted. Um, when he threw them, first of all, himself and Silas into the jail, the innermost part of the prison. Now, this is not that sort of confinement, but he's still chained to a guard every single hour of every day. He's very much hampered. He doesn't have his freedom. And yet, he talks about God in such a way that speaks of him so personally, he's there with him. He knows him in that imprisonment. And as we go through the early part of Philippians especially, you can see not only does Paul know God in his imprisonment, he knows why God has put him there. You see, you can't say, he wouldn't be able to say, God has placed me here for the defense of the gospel. He has placed me here deliberately so that I can be a witness to Caesar's household, to the imperial guard. You don't find a man who knows God at a distance saying such things, but somebody who can say, my God. Well, that's very personal. That's very intimate. And he brings that intimacy into every circumstance of his life. And that's what really lends such, a, such a, an outlook and a view and a mindset to him in every circumstance of life. What about yourself? What about myself? Is God to me tonight, is God to you tonight, something of what he was for the apostle? As you sit here tonight in church or as you watch online, and we speak about God, we've been reading about God, we're preaching about God, we've been praying to God. How near is you, is your life to that God? How near is God to you? Is your life one like the apostle of being able to say on a daily basis, I have to face this day with my God. I need my God to be with me through this day. I need my God to show me the way. I need my God to help me through all the circumstances of this day. 
What a precious, precious thing it is that God brings us to be able to actually say, you are my God and I love you and I'm thankful to you and I want you to stay with me, never to leave me, always to guide me through this valley of this world and on into eternity. You might ask the question, what is the most convincing evidence for that world out there tonight? I'm talking especially about that world that doesn't want to know God and denies God and lives without God and doesn't want to come to anything to do with the church and in some regards, in some instances at least, um, uh, dislike the church or even hate the church for what it stands for? What is it that's most convincing to that world that God exists? It's not some professor actually giving a stunning lecture on the existence of God, though that's a wonderful thing, and many can do that superbly, which I can't. But the most convincing thing to the world, that, uh, that evidence that God exists, is in your life and my life, living consistently the life that shows this is my God. This is my God. And that's what's going to really be telling when we live our lives in a way that clearly shows we have a living relationship with Christ, with God our Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, whatever people will say, that is something that they will notice. In fact, if you go on in the chapter itself, we'll come to it eventually, God willing. Only, he says in verse 27, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponent. This is a clear sign to them. See what he's saying there? The fact that you're standing together for the faith of the gospel, that you're united in your stand for Christ and following Christ, that's something that the world out there cannot actually avoid noticing. And they come to their own conclusion about it, but they can never say, I didn't even know anything about it. It's made clear the existence of God. It's an apologetic thing in the sense of presenting God to the world in a life, not only individually, but collectively together as we actually seek to serve God in that way. We've given a title to, some people don't like titles for sermons, but I don't mind them, I think they're helpful if the title fits with what the passage of the Bible really is about. And the title we've given um, tonight is Together for Jesus. Together for Jesus. That's what Paul is really saying to the Philippians. You know, I and you Philippians, we're together for Jesus. That's what our life is about. I'm here in prison. I'm writing to you Philippians. You are there in your congregation in Philippi. We're, a, we're apart in terms of distance. But we're together spiritually and morally, collectively. We're together for Jesus. That's what congregational life must be about when we're together serving the Lord. And as you come see here, I thank my God, he says, in this prayerful remembrance, in every remembrance of you, in every prayer of mine, making my prayer or my request, it is literally, with joy. And 
One of the striking things about that is the absence of self. The absence of self. This is a man who is not sorry for himself. He is not saying to the Philippians, you know, I'm praying to my God and I'm wanting you to pray to God that I get out of this place and that I get out of this place as soon as possible because it's not right for me to be here as an apostle and as a preacher of the gospel. I want to be free. I want to be out there with the gospel. There's none of that with him. He doesn't actually say to the Philippians, you think you've got it difficult. What about me? Look at my life. Look at the difficulties I'm facing. Here I am in this prison. I'm not out there with the gospel. Complete absence of self-pity. Complete absence of feeling sorry for himself. Because in prison, as anywhere else, Paul's focus is on Jesus, on his gospel, on his church, on the advancement of his cause, That's what's gripping his mind. And even as he's in prison writing to these Philippians, that's what his mind is churning over. That's what he's conveying to them. Here's this wonderful explosion of the absence of self-pity and a wonderful concentration upon Christ and upon his cause. What a lesson that is to ourselves. Not at all feeling sorry for himself. And not only that, but if you look down through the passage here beyond verse 7 indeed, but go through it and just count, we won't run through it again reading it, but just count the number of times you find the words all, always, you all, every one of you. Down through that passage, there's an abundance of these words, all, always, you all. Now, this is, this is not a church without its problems. It's not got the same kind of problems as the likes of Corinth had. But still, Paul has to appeal in chapter 4 to the likes of Iodias uh, uh, and Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord or to agree in the Lord. There were disagreements. There were problems between people. There were problems in relationships. Uh, some were easier to manage than others. Nowhere does the apostle refer to these here. What he is simply saying is, and you can see it's really just the equivalent of throwing a, a, a wonderful pastoral embrace around all of these people and really say I love you all I'm praying for you all I'm not leaving any of you out yeah all the diversity in the Philippian church and yet truthfully uh, Paul can actually say I am making my request in every prayer of mine for you all for you all for you all, all the way down there through uh, these verses. And you can see from that how the likes of, uh, uh, of the diversity in, in Philippi was not in any way uh, something that contradicted Paul's uh, emphasis on unity and on love. He loves them all. What a challenge! To us tonight, what a challenge to me as a leader in the church and to Kenny as a leader in the church and to us as the elders of the church. What a challenge to yourselves too as, as the visible church of God in the world. Because we're, we're all so prone, aren't we, just to be taken up with our own things. And so taken up with uh, really what in, in, in effect are just little things that we make big. That we make big issues of. And at the end of the day, what are they compared to the problems that other people have in the world? 
And here is Paul reminding us, you know, we, we have to ha- have that same sense of love for all the Lord's people, wherever they are, however different they are to ourselves, however much they may vary in terms of degrees of knowledge or experience or competence or whatever else. And after all, you've got in this congregation a very well-to-do woman called Lydia, whose heart the Lord opened as she listened to Paul down by the riverside. And then you've got this Philippian jailer, this jailer who has come from his rough background, uh, most likely, almost certainly a pagan background, and yet these are two of the founding members of the church in Philippi. And they're on the same level. And Paul is saying to them, the same love of Jesus has embraced you both. And I'm actually here saying, I love you both. I love you for what you are in Christ. And what an example he sets us. And what, a, what a teaching you have there in, in the Bible as God is saying to ourselves tonight. Uh, yes, by all means have the diversity of personalities and experiences and ages and backgrounds and all the rest of it. Every congregation must have that. That's part of its richness. But, as he says elsewhere in the second chapter, be all of the same mind. Consider others better than yourself. Love unconditionally others that differ from you. Look upon them in Jesus. Look at the best aspects of their life, not the things that you can see in every life, including our own, that aren't very attractive. Paul is saying, you've got to look beyond that. You've got to look to Jesus in them and what they are for Jesus. So pray for remembrance is the first point. Second one is the partnership he mentions in the gospel and then later he mentions partakers of his grace. They're very similar things. I thank my God for you all because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. A partnership really is the word fellowship. It's translated fellowship elsewhere in the New Testament. And it has different shades of meaning depending on the context. Um, it, it's fellowship in the sense of being bonded together in sharing something that we all have in common. And that is mostly New Testament to do with salvation in Christ. We have fellowship in Christ and with one another in Christ because we share together by being in him the salvation that he has purchased for us. We are sharers in Christ, therefore we have fellowship with him and with one another. But here Paul is being somewhat more, uh, more narrow in his, in his focus. If you go to Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, I'm not going to spend too much time on it, just refer them to you and you can read through them later. Uh, chapter 2 verses 42 and 44 of the book of Acts, where you find uh, that uh, the early church there, uh, in chapter 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves, that's, that's this group, this, this group of believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And you move to verse 44, all who believed were together and had all things in common. Then it mentions their possessions. And then chapter 4 and verse 32 of Acts, now the number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, 
and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. You see, the things that we own together in Christ, they're not our own individually. We share in them. We have fellowship together. They belong to us all in common. There's a commonality of possession in the gifts that Christ gives to his church. Even the variety of gifts. Even the most ordinary things you might say of possessions and goods and finances. When we use them in the service of the Lord, we don't ask a certain group of people to, uh, to support the gospel financially while others are left out. We do it as we have the ability to do so and the resources to do so. But it's a commonality. We have a fellowship in Supporting and furthering the gospel is really what Paul means here because he's talking about your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And what a remarkable statement that is too. Because from the very first day, Paul is saying, you came to share with me in the furtherance of the gospel. You came to share together with me in advancing the gospel in Philippi. And you know, Paul is really saying, you didn't actually come to attend upon the preaching of the gospel or my preaching of the gospel and then say, well, I'll think about it for six months. Maybe I'll give it a year or so and maybe then I'll throw in my lot with these Christians. Uh, maybe then I'll feel right to support this gospel. No, he says, from the first day that you became Christians, this is what you did. You partnered with me in the gospel. And if you're a Christian tonight, that's really what the Lord is laying on your heart by these words. You're not an observer in the gospel. You're not an observer in the church. You're not a backseat church person. You may be literally, whether you're in the back of the gallery, on the back of the building, that's not what I mean. But backseat in terms of spiritual commitment to Christ. When you become a Christian, you become a partaker with other Christians of the, of the furtherance of the gospel. That's why we always appeal to people. We hope with love and with all the, the tact and gentleness that we can muster that if you haven't yet come openly and fully to follow the Lord, it's not just that the Lord is requiring that of you, though he is, but the church needs you. The gospel needs you. The furtherance of the gospel needs you. Don't hang back as if it was fine just to spend a long time or a short time, whatever, before you make that commitment. Paul is saying, no, this is what you're like. This is why I'm praying. This is why I'm giving thanks to God for you on your behalf, for your partnership in the gospel from the first day till now. I know Kenny will agree with me. He mentioned something of this morning, that one of the things we truly value in this congregation is your partnership in the gospel. The gifts that are evident throughout this congregation as they are harnessed and used for Jesus and for his, the furtherance of his cause. Let that be more and more for me and for you what really dominates our minds in the days to come. And as we emerge from this COVID pandemic and the restrictions, we will actually have this as, as our resolve and as our, uh, not just our intention but our action. Because for Paul, 
the Philippians as Christians were involved in that from the very first. I thank God for your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. There's no gap. And if there's a gap in your own life tonight, you see that that, that, that gap is, is closed up, is closed off. The cause needs you. That world out there needs people following Christ. Where else are they going to see Christ and hear about Christ if it's not in the life of his people, in the fellowship, in partnership, in the gospel? And he goes on to speak about partakers of my grace. I could say that Lydia, and mentioned Lydia and the jailer um, previously, and just, it's interesting, isn't it, when you read in Acts chapter 16 about their conversion, one thing you read that they had in common, that they did in common, was they opened their homes. Lydia opened her home. We believe that's where the church met for some time in her home. But when the jailer was converted, he invited Paul into his home to share a meal with him and his family. Open homes follow from open hearts. And that's participation, that's partaking, that's partaker of the grace. Because when he mentions grace here, it's not like you have it often in, in the Paul's epistles, grace in terms of God's grace in, in salvation. It's much narrower here because he goes on to speak about it in terms of supporting him and partakers of his grace in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Both in evangelism and in edification of Christians already now in the congregation. Paul is saying, you were partakers of grace with me. You took it upon yourselves by the grace of God to involve, yourself, involve yourselves in this great movement of the gospel. And tonight that's our great privilege as well. We mentioned the title of our study earlier, Together for Jesus. Wouldn't that be a great motto really for us as Christians, for us as a congregation, whatever it might be in those terms, um, let's be Philippians for our day. You know, the people of Corinth were known throughout the world of that time for their debauchery, for their sexual promiscuity, for the ugliness of their lives. And if you were known as a Corinthian, it, was a, it came to be a term of contempt, really, for anybody, wherever they lived, to be called a Corinthian meant you were associated with that debauched kind of life. It described you as a very immoral person. But here are these Philippians. Here are these Philippians that Paul is describing as partakers with him of the grace that comes to be focused upon the gospel and upon advancing the cause of Christ. So friends, tonight... Where you are online, this is our appeal to you. Let's be Philippians for our day, for our generation, because that's what God's grace is held out to us for. Let's pray. Lord our God, we thank you for that grace that brings us together. We thank you for the grace that furnishes us with all uh, the requisite gifts as you see it 
to serve you in this world. We pray for ourselves as a congregation. Uh, We pray that you would continue, Lord, to provide us not only with the spiritual gifts that we need, but with the unity in the use of them that is so essential as we reach out into the world and seek to uh, make known the beauty of Christ and the power of Christ. We pray again for ourselves and all our aspects of our work, from those who work with the youngest in the congregation through to those who are adults. And we pray that our concern may be to advance your cause. Uh, be with our brother, Kenny I, O Lord, as he has uh, preached here this morning in an official sense for the last time. We give thanks for the prospect of hearing him many other times by your sparing grace. We pray for him at this time that you'd continue to enrich his life and to give him time of rest and time when he will enjoy some uh, weeks by which he is free, O Lord, to carry out uh, his life in a different way uh, so that he will have the burden of having responsibility in the congregation removed from him. We give thanks for all that he has contributed over the many years here to the life of the congregation. And we look forward, O Lord, with much anticipation to his contributions yet. And so continue with us now and hear us and accept all that we offer to you in our worship. One pardon of sin in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to conclude our our service tonight by singing in Psalm 31. Psalm number 31. That's in the Sing Psalms version. We're singing verses 19 to 23. Your goodness, Lord, is very great, prepared for those who fear your name. You show your goodness openly to all who your protection claim. That's on page 37 in the Psalm books. The tune is Wareham. Your goodness, Lord, is very great. Your goodness, Lord, is very great, prepared for those who fear your name. You show your goodness openly to Hey. 
of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen. <laughs>